We're going to look to the Word of God and see what He's got to say to us this morning. I believe that He's got a, a special word for every one of us. So let's pray and just pray God will speak it into our spirits this morning and that we'll receive it and that it will go down deep and take root and produce fruit. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you so much that you want to speak into our lives and through your word, we can hear you speaking directly. And I pray this morning, God, that you will take this word, Holy Spirit, that you will... You will uh, Speak it into every person's life here according to what they need and it will bring hope and life and that it will go down deep and take root in their lives, in all of our lives, God, and will produce fruit. We thank you, God, because you love us and you want to encourage us, you want to challenge us and I pray, God, that we'll be open, that we will not have closed minds, that we will open our hearts and minds to you this morning, God, and what you want to say to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our, last year we launched our vision to be salt and light, to, to be the church as God has called us to be. And the way that we are to be the church, it is to be salt and light in the world. And so, uh, you know, God wants to speak this into our hearts and help us to understand more and more about how we do this. Because I guess we, we realise that's what he wants us to do, but how... Does it work out in our everyday lives? And so we're going to look to a passage in Matthew over these next eight weeks. And this passage helps us to understand. It actually precedes the verses about being salt and light. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, given by Jesus. So would you turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew 5, 1 to 12. I'm going to be reading from the Message Translation. And so it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. I don't know if Cameron can find that, but in the message version. And the title in, of this particular passage says, You're blessed. You're blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? This is a very interesting passage where Jesus is teaching here. Let's see what he says. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. 
You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always um, gotten into this kind of trouble. Well, that passage doesn't sound like you're really blessed when you hear of some of those situations, does it? But that's what Jesus was saying in this Sermon on the Mount. It's actually also titled The Beatitudes. Why did Christ preach this sermon? Because he wanted to make it clear that this should be your attitude to the circumstances of life. Each of the Beatitudes actually invites us to examine ourselves to see if we are what we say we are. It's an invitation to determine if we are really committed to being a Christ follower or, ju- or we just you know, want to know about God, but we really don't want it to impact or impinge on our lives. You know, Among the audience that day, there were people who would have said that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but they didn't commit their lives to him. And I think the challenge remains for us today. Are we committed to him or do we just know about him? So the overall theme of this sermon, which we're going to look at over the next eight weeks, is how to live as people who are part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was saying, those who are my disciples should affect the world in a positive way by the way in which they live. And so he's saying, if in these situations you allow and show me to be who I am, if you in these situations that aren't that easy, you bring glory to me, then that's how you are salt. That's why you will be light. And as you allow God to outwork that, we will see, he, he, the world will see more of him in us. And so when you're struggling or when you're hurting, or when you're sad, or you're mocked, or ridiculed, what is your attitude? We can sit down and whinge, and complain, and look at it, you know, feel sorry for ourselves, or we can allow God to be God in our lives, and change the flavour of others' bland lives. And also we can bring, situation, we can bring light into a situation that can, is very dark. Or we can make the situation worse by our attitude. And so this morning, let's look at number one. The first one, which is verse three. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I'm just going to say it again so we've got it in our mind clearly. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there is more room for God and his rule. What does it mean to be at the end of your rope? Well, the dictionary says you've had so many problems, you can't handle any more. Or you're out of options and you don't know what to do next. 
You're stuck in a bad situation. So I have to ask, why would Jesus say you're blessed if you're in that place? And in this, these verses in Matthew chapter 5, blessing is not what comes to mind when I read those verses. I remember when I was little, mum and dad taught us how to pray. And every night we would say, we would say our prayers. And uh, we would say, God bless mummy and daddy, God bless. And we'd go through all the family and uh, we would do that. And we really had no idea that when we were praying those prayers, we were actually saying, let them be poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure, peacemakers and persecuted. Because that's what Jesus says, that's when you're blessed. But Jesus was teaching this for a reason. He knew that you do not have to be in these situations to be blessed. But he's saying that people who are in these situations will experience blessing when they allow God to be God in a way that is beyond what the world can offer or bring understanding to. By depending on God and allowing him to be in full control of your situation, you will experience something that nothing of the world can offer you. You will experience God in a way that will transform you. And that is what is going to bring blessing. So when you're at the end of your rope, he's saying you're blessed because with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. So what do you do when you're facing problems with your children that you cannot solve? What do you do when your marriage is on the rocks and you just feel hopeless? It just keeps getting worse and worse. What do you do when there are problems at work and just doesn't seem to work out? What do you do when you've got too many bills and not enough money? When your loved one dies and you cannot escape, escape loneliness and grief and pain? When your heart is broken and your dreams are shattered and your hopes have been dashed to bits? What do you do when you're walking through a spiritual wasteland and there seems to be no way out? You just can't seem to make the connection with God. How could such things lead to happiness? It seems to me like they lead to the opposite. But Jesus tells us here in this verse one thing clearly. We can never be happy if we live a self-focused, self-dependent life. We may be fooled into thinking that we can make ourselves happy for a while. But you know, the only place that we're going to find happiness is in a relationship with our creator, God. Only the one who made us really knows us. And it's only as we have a relationship with him that we're going to find true contentment and true peace. And sometimes we have to go to the end of ourselves to find the beginning of God and to gain lasting contentment in our life. And I believe that happens as we allow God to reveal himself to us, as we allow him to speak into our life, to show us his love. Oh, how he loves me. Do you know that? Do you know that he really loves you? It's not just a word in the Bible. It's not just a Sunday school song. He loves me. 
He loves you. And if you're going to believe this, then you're going to have to, you you can't believe this unless you believe that. Unless you believe that Jesus really loves you, you're not going to believe any of this. Unless you know that God who created you has a purpose for your life and he cares about every detail of your life. Unless you believe that, you're not going to believe any of this. You need to know he loves you. And so at the end of our rope, we have some choices. We've come to the end of it. And so we can hang on with all our might. We can hold tightly, hoping, hoping and, and, and wanting it to work out. But you know, if you're hanging on to a rope for long enough, your arms get tired. And if you're hanging there, some people can hang on longer than others. But eventually, your arms will be too weak to keep hanging and you'll come crashing down. So that's one choice. Hang on for, with all your might until you've got no more and then come crashing. Or the other choice is let go and fall into the arms of a loving saviour who will rescue you and restore you. That's your choice. But letting go means letting God take control. And when that happens... There is opportunity for blessing. So I want to tell a story. I want to read a story from 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. It's a story about Elisha and a woman. And I believe this woman was at the end of her rope. And I'm going to use this story to help us to understand more of of how we can respond when we're in that circumstance. It's 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbours. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Now here is a lady at the end of her rope. Her husband, who was a a prophet of the Lord, had died. So she's lost her husband. She's in debt. And in those days, the law was that if you were in debt, then if you had children, they would be taken as slaves to pay off the debt. So that was what was going to happen. And she's hungry. They've got nothing to eat. I would say, wouldn't you agree, she's at the end of her rope. So what did she do? There's three things I want us to see. Firstly, she cried out to God. 
Now, the word cried in this translation means to weep uncontrollably or to shriek in grief. And so you can imagine she was desperate, absolutely desperate. And in her desperation, what did she do? She cried out to God. This woman comes to the man of God at her lowest moment of life in desperation. Now, it would have been easy for her to go to her friends and say, listen, you know, I've, I've run out of, of everything. I've got nothing. Can you help me out? Would, it be, would you be able to sort of give me some money, loan me some money, give me something to eat? And she could have gone to her friends first or to a family if she had family members, but she didn't. The first place she went was to God. She went straight to God. And in spite of all her problems, she held tightly to the faith that she had. So Elisha was God's representative on earth and and for her, he was her best hope. And so in spite of her pain, in spite of her problems and her lack of possibilities, she looked to God for help. Now, she couldn't see a way out. All she could see was, was a difficult, terrible circumstance. And even although she couldn't see how God could possibly get her out of this, she knew that that was the place to go. And so she cried out to God. Now, I believe that, that probably everyone in this room at some time will get to the end of their rope. Perhaps it's happened to you already and there'd be testimonies in this room of people who have been at the end of the rope. Salams is a testimony on the way. We've got to still see God bring it all the way through. But, you know, who've been at the end of their rope and God has, you know, you've been in a place of desperation and you've cried out to God and he's delivered you and you've found great blessing in that. So there's been, there'll be people in the room who've already been at the end of their rope. There'll be people who are right now who are just feeling like, I can't take any more. And there'll be, maybe if you haven't, you could be one day. And you know, one, when you get to that point, or when you've been at that point, I'm sure you'll agree with me that the world, the flesh and the devil are going to tell you that God doesn't care. How could I be in this situation if God loves me? How could this happen to me if God cared about me? And that's what, we're, that's what is thrown at us by the enemy. But the fact is, he does. He sees everything. He knows what you're facing. There's not a single thing that's hidden from his view. And he cares more than you know. He cares and loves you. And these verses are here in this passage to teach us that even although what we're facing may seem insurmountable, we know and love a God who is supernatural. He's beyond the impossible. And when we come to him... And we turn to him and we cry out to him. He is there and he will answer and he will move because he is able. That's why you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because you get to that point where you, there's less of you and so you see more of God. And when you see more of God, that brings great blessing into your life. So the first thing she did was she cried out to God. The second thing she did was that she surrendered everything to God. 
everything. Actually, she didn't have much to surrender, but even what little she did, you'd think, well, what did it matter if she, if she sort of didn't, you know, she held back just that flask of oil because that would just give her some sort of hope. But Elijah said to you, you have to give that up. You have to give that over. The, the very last thing. So she was totally empty. And it's when we get to that point of being totally emptied of ourselves, when we surrender to God, that's the point at which we can, we've got nowhere else but to be filled by God himself and to receive a blessing from him by his presence and by the way that he will work. Now, what does surrendering your life mean? It could mean for you following God's lead when you don't know where he's sending you, stepping out in faith. It could mean waiting for God's timing when you don't know when it's going to come. It could be, mean expecting a miracle that you know God can provide. And it mean, or it could mean trusting God without understanding the circumstances. You know you surrender to God when you rely on God to work things out instead of trying to do it yourself. And we're so good at manipulating others to try and get it worked out or to forcing the agenda so we can get what we want or trying to control the situation. But we're never going to be, receive the blessing of God when we do that because we're giving him no room to move. We're doing it all. But when we let go, when we surrender ourselves to God, we give room for God to move. Instead of trying harder, what God is saying, trust me more. Instead of trying and trying and trying, trust me. I guess the supreme example of surrender is Jesus himself. The night before his crucifixion, do you think that it would have been easy for him to face the cross? Honestly, I don't know how he did that. I don't know how you could know that you're going to be crucified and go through that and face that. And the night before, he's on his knees crying out to God, if it's possible, if it's possible, God, don't let this happen to me. But what you want, not what I want, that's the ultimate act of letting go and certainly a step of faith. So if you come to the end of your rope, what you need to do is surrender your hold on it, whatever has got you there. Let go and trust God. What this does is it gives total room for God to move. This now means he's not limited in any way. You're not putting any blockages in the way of what God wants to do and he will move in a powerful and amazing way because with less of you, there is more room for God and his rule. Why would we want to limit almighty God? Why would we want to block him in our lives? Why would we want to stop him from outworking something that we possibly can't outwork by ourselves? I mean, aren't you grateful that Jesus surrendered all? That he let go of a hold on his life? Because if he didn't, we wouldn't be here today. 
We wouldn't have the assurance of salvation and the hope of eternity if Jesus didn't let go of his life, let go of his hold on his life. And you know, God's plan may not always make sense. It doesn't always make sense to us, but it is always the best. I mean, as the disciples stood at the cross 2,000 years ago and looked up, do you think they would have thought that was great? Do you think they would have thought, this is the best thing in the world? Of course they wouldn't have. They would have been desperate. They would have been so grieving at the loss of their, save, of the, of their friend, their leader, the person who had been so key to their life. But as we stand back from the cross 2,000 years later, we see how wonderful it is. How amazing it is that because of the cross, that transforms my life. That changes my life. We see it as something incredible when we stand back. And sometimes we have to let go and trust God because we can't see right now. We can't see it. But as we step back in and time, God shows us himself in a way that brings blessing to our lives. Amen. And finally, after surrendering, she obeyed. She obeyed by acting on the word of God. She didn't just say she had faith. She stepped out in faith and acted on what the word of God was, which was from Elisha to go and get all the jars. Here she's got this little flask of oil and he says, start filling. I mean, what have you thought? What are you going to do? Like, this isn't going to go very far. You know, you would have thought... that. Like, what are you asking me to do? This is crazy. But she was obedient. She didn't question. She was obedient. She started filling and the oil just kept flowing and kept flowing and kept flowing. And that's what will happen in our lives. When we let go and we obey and we act on the word of God, then gradually it will keep, we will see God just keep pouring in and keep pouring in and keep pouring in. And it won't stop. Until we don't need it anymore, that particular thing. And that's what God does. He's at work in us to outwork his amazing plan. As we heard this morning, someone thanking God for trusting them with his plan. And when we do, we will receive amazing blessing. But we have to position ourselves to receive that. That means we have to let go. And we have to trust God. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more rule for sorry, there is more room for God and his rule. I want to tell two quick stories. These weren't part of my message in preparation, but they've come to me in the last 24 hours and both of them just show this. I was talking to a lady last night. I was at a 40th birthday and she's 88. And uh, I was talking to her and she's just come out of hospital after having cancer removed from her thyroid and it's the second time that she's had it and uh, she, can't, she can hardly speak because of this and so I was, had to sort of ride up next to her mouth so I could hear what she was saying. She's had to learn to speak again at 88 because of this. And she said, people keep coming up to me and they're saying, you know, well, how are you? You know, how are you feeling? And they talk about the big C. And she said, you know what? I feel happy. She said, because I've got the big C. I've got Christ. 
And that is what puts everything else under and, and below that, that terrible thing that can destroy you, destroy her. And she said, you know, I don't know what will happen tomorrow. I've asked God if I could live to 100 and, and he may or may not let me. But he said, whatever it is, I'm happy because I've got Christ. And that's what brings me blessing. That's what gives me the answer in my life. And I thought, she's got to the end of her rope and she's blessed because she's got Christ. I was talking to Brigitte this morning and she was telling me the story of a, of a young man who's in jail at Cessnock. And you would think, well, he's certainly at the end of his rope. He's in jail. Things are not good. And she spoke to, um, to Noreen and she asked Noreen if she could get in touch with the Salvation Army chaplain and would he go and visit this young man. And he did. And uh, that young man prayed to receive Christ. And suddenly his life has changed. He said he's shining. He's in, has his circumstances changed? No, but he's got hope. He's got a way forward. He's at the end of his rope, but now with letting go of a hold on his life, he's been able to receive Christ and find hope and a way forward. As it, it doesn't mean that he's going to be out of jail tomorrow, but he's got Christ in jail. And that's what's made the difference. That's what's transformed his life. He's given room for God to move. You know, one Sunday, um, this family were driving home from church and the little girl said to uh, her mum, Mum, this morning in church, the man out the front was talking about God and saying that he's so much bigger than we are. She said, yes, that's right. He's so big that he can hold the whole world in his hands. And uh, she said, that's right. She said, then she said, uh, this man said, God comes to live inside of us. And the mother said, well, yeah, that's true too. And the little girl was a bit puzzled. And she said, so if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? This is what the Beatitudes is about are about God showing through. Even when you're at the end of your rope, that God would show through, that he's visible in our attitudes and our actions. We don't have to pretend to be Christ or we don't have to try to do the things that Jesus would do. We allow Christ to live through us. The Beatitudes are like a light bulb that only shines when plugged into God's power. We can't do it. We can't do it. We don't have to try to act this way. We don't have to try and act. The Beatitudes are supposed to be your attitude. You can't pretend. By ourselves, we aren't able to keep the Beatitudes no matter how hard we try. We're just weak. But the Holy Spirit has come to live in us and to work through us so that through us he will meet the needs of hurting humanity. And when he does, others will see the image of Christ in us. I just want to ask a question in closing. How would your life be different if Jesus were to come to take your place? If Jesus was you 
in your circumstances? What would it be like in the home? Would it be any different if he was you in your home? What if he, he was you in your job at work? Would it be different? What if he sat in your desk at school? What if he filled my place here in the pulpit? But that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to live in us and through us. And he came to live in me so that through him, he would master my circumstances and my life. He would manifest himself in my character and empower me to minister to others so that every day he touches people's lives. So I, when I was thinking about that, I thought, do people see God shining through me? We all have to ask ourselves that question. Do people see God shining through us? You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. God is a God of yesterday, today and forever. In yesterday, we see him at work. We see how he worked historically and we see his power. And tomorrow he gives us hope. But today he gives us life. Let us hold on to him. Let us release our hold on life. Let's surrender to him so that he can outwork his purposes, so that we can bring light into dark places and we can change the flavour of the situations in which we find ourselves. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you that you are the answer in every circumstance and that you have the way forward for us. We thank you, God, that when we're at the end of our rope, that you are there and we can release our hold on it and you will catch us, you will rescue us, you will restore us and you will make a way forward that we can't even imagine. That is beyond the the impossible. And we thank you, God, that you are a miracle-working God, that you can, can show favor on applications that go before government bodies, God. We believe that. And we believe, God, that you make a way. We believe, God, that when we're hurting because we've lost, when things aren't the way they are, that we will look to your face and we will trust you even when we can't understand because we know that you love us and you care for us and you have a plan. And we may not know it yet, but, God, we surrender ourselves to your will and your purpose for our life so that we can experience you in all of your fullness. I thank you, God, that you are faithful, that your faithfulness reaches to the clouds and that you love us with everything in your being. You showed us that by giving us your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to understand this, not just as words, God, but as truth, and that this truth would bring life to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.